I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Yay. <laughs> We're doing this at a weird time. This is like yes. right after work for all of us. So On a yes. Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Oh. I'm still at my desk. Yeah, Although me it too. Looks, it looks what, like which midnight. midnight. Yeah, it does look like midnight in Chicago. <laughs> five o'clock and it is pitch black outside. Thank oh. you, Chicago. I hate the time change. Oh, it's it terrible. kills me. Like we just need and to do I don't away have like we don't yep. do the big light in this household. It is lamps only. I do not like the big light, so we just have the lamp, and I, I look like I'm podcasting by candlelight. That's okay. It it yeah. fits your gremlin vibes. Kind of gives it you a, a Victorian. I'm an evil right. Victorian ghost, and and woo. And I'm about absolutely. to tell you about weird shit from Vermont. Yes. <laughs> Here for it. Yes, well, before absolutely. We get into that we did just have a big holiday we did thanksgiving yes we all went to a diner and is... ate a burger yay <laughs> hannah that sounds great actually <laughs> uh, hung out with the other holiday orphans here in the city <laughs> yeah awesome. it was it was a weird one because you know yeah yeah it was the first earlier this yeah. year so yeah my yeah. first thanksgiving without her which i went to this whole grief group thing a few weeks ago about how to survive the holidays and i just bawled the whole time like just bawled yeah. the entire time like it was i mean yeah sure productive. I, I got a little out of it but mostly i was just very self-conscious about how i was crying so hard for like two hours but mm-hmm. um i did what we usually do which is we get our turkey from corky's <laughs> because i got tired Hell of making yeah. the turkey every year um me and mama used to always make the dressing together uh so i knew how to do the dressing but i didn't know how to make her and grandma's cornbread to make the cornbread dressing so i had to kind of wing that and that turned out okay um and i went to my cousin's house she said that uh dressing tasted just like grandma so i'm like fine that's all i need to hear i i can go to bed and not happy which it tasted fine to me but um, then I had plenty of leftovers, which fueled me for the next couple of days. So that was my Thanksgiving. It was kind of simple and basic, um, but I was okay with that. Um, I, it's a weird thing. I think as I navigate the holidays this year, I've noticed I don't want anything to be super tradition-y. I kind of yeah. want to have new stuff for this year. I think because I'm still probably in denial and all of that. I don't know. Grief and holidays are hard. I don't know what I'm doing. But um, like I changed up my Christmas tree this year and and stuff like that and, and I don't know. Yeah, I mean Whatever. I get it because like with you know um, you know my brother was like obsessed with Christmas and so like the first one after his passing like we really didn't want to do all of the same stuff because it's like he's not here for this yeah. mm-hmm. like. And even, like, so after my grandmother died, him and my grandma always played poker on Christmas Eve because we were a family of degenerates. <laughs> um, so, but me and him started playing poker on Christmas Eve. And, you know, that was our way of keep, well, you know, now my yeah. poker buddy's gone. So, you mm-hmm. know, uh, so now me and the kids play Cards Against Humanity. Oh, oh cute. You know, I bet that's which, fun. I learn more about my nephews every single time. <laughs> I bet you I do. Bet. 
I I'm bet. like, you know, you guys realize I'm still your aunt, right? Like, yeah. I don't need to know all this. <laughs> yeah, I was, I did have a moment of freaking out the other day because I'm like, what am I going to do on Christmas Eve? Like growing up, we always went to my dad's side of the family and did Christmas Eve with him, with his side. And then when I got older, sometimes I went to see them. Sometimes I didn't. It just kind of depended on yeah. how things were going. Um, yeah. But it got to where really the Santa letters in the hometown newspaper are classic holiday reading because they do not edit the letters at all. They run them as the kids wrote them, which it. It, it's, it's, you know, 90% misspellings and weird capitalizations. And it warms my dumb little heart. Like one of my favorite, me and mama used to laugh about this all the time. One time this kid wanted the game. Don't wake daddy, but wrote it as don't whack daddy. And for some reason, <laughs> that don't was like, that either. I know. I was like, that's a bad idea as well. So I don't know. Like, and it hit me. I'm like, what am I going to do on like Christmas Eve? Like, I I have no idea. And I'm like, I might go like to some family members graves. Like I might go to my dad's, my aunt's, my grandma's, pick up a hometown newspaper, come home and cook myself something and stuff my face. Yeah. Because I don't know what else to do. Or so weird. come down to the coast, play Cards Against Humanity with me and the kids. I really want to do that. But, like, I need to be back in North Mississippi for my little cousin in the morning. So, like, I'll, I may have to figure out a way to do that. Like, drive all night. <laughs> I've done it. Because I, like I, I love me some Cards Against Humanity. Yes. But, Lou Who, I think you had a funny Thanksgiving. Yes. So, we've been sad. <laughs> so, now we can be funny. Sorry for yes. them bumming everyone out. No. It's, no. It's, it's, it's a part of it, you know. Hey. We talk about dead people. Exactly. <laughs> Death and grief go hand in hand. Um, no. So, my, I always, I'm not as big on Thanksgiving cooking as, like, my husband and yeah. his sister. So, when she wasn't living with us, she used to come up and they would just go insane. But this is the first year that she's been living with us. And they went insane. Uh, she made her own turkey broth. Ooh, she fancy. Made her own I turkey gravy from the Ooh. turkey broth. She there fried her own onions for the green bean casserole. Oh, ah, I'm coming to y'all's house next and year. And I'm over here right? like doing my Ritz on my casserole and doing my <laughs> sweet potato, you know, sweet potato. Right. Thing. The quote of the week was when they were getting the turkey ready, Katie said, okay, so the butthole isn't edible. Talking about the turkey. Well, Sawyer. They leave the butthole on it? I, I oh, have yeah, no idea. You get the I whole bird. Yeah, I wasn't. I was. I just happened to hear that. And I was like, what did she just say? And so Sawyer, being the sweet kiddo that he was, was making Thanksgiving decorations on index cards, like Aww. coloring things on it. And he colored Uh-oh. a turkey and he wrote on the little card, my butt is not edible. Oh my God. And you it's need on to the fridge. Keep that yes. For his wedding. <laughs> I am going to take a picture and have Sheena post it with our stuff this week because it is so yes, please. cute. That. But, uh, but yes, no. So that was the quote of the week. Okay. So the butthole isn't edible. <laughs> well, don't and, tell yes. the gay population that. <laughs> I know. It made my week. And that uh, is, is Spencer aware. <laughs> Spencer's aware, but now that he's living with his new man, 
I think Aww. all rules are out the window. <laughs> a lot of things are edible. Yes. Yeah. Everything, literally. Um, you know, I, we... I that's amazing. Yeah. I yeah. We have to post that. Yeah, that's I love really it. cute. We love But yeah, I mean, if you have the entire bird, I guess they do give you the butt, but I've never really thought about that. I just always got creeped out because anytime you bought like your raw bird, God, this is getting weird. You get like the neck and I always hate dealing with the neck. Turkey neck is really good. Um, It might be, but I don't like to deal with it. I don't like with the gizzards are in there too. Well, no, because like the big opening is its neck. Why would okay? Somebody, a listener, please let us know if the butthole is included in the turkey. That is going to weigh on me. It's for... got to. I don't know. This is why I quit I'm googling cooking this the turkey right now. Hang on. This is why I quit cooking the turkey once I realized that Corky's would do it for me and it would be delicious. And all I had Absolutely. to do is pop it in the oven for like two hours. Bam! Beautiful. No, you know. No. And then I usually go to Corky's and I get myself like an order of ribs. And that's my pre-Thanksgiving meal. And then I have to fight off McDuff because he thinks ribs belong to him. And I'm like, no. Okay. Reddit has an answer. Uh, <laughs> of course, course it does. does. Let's see. Okay. It is usually where the asshole would be. But the actual asshole is removed along with all of the organs and extra skin when the turkey is clean. So what you have is just a big sack of meat. So. Okay. So no asshole. <laughs> no. So there now is no butthole to be edible. <laughs> Please, listeners, imagine a star going across the sky with the more now you know. You know. <laughs> Where's the You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Absolutely. Well, look, I'm here to entertain and educate. So, and that's what you're doing now because Absolutely. you're going to go first. Our theme okay. this week was Vermont because we picked right. a random state. And, and look, we were like, uh, Vermont. And then we all got into it. We're like, holy shit. Vermont. Yeah. Vermont's kind of rad. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Have at so it. I know Spider Monkey. It's going to be one of my last ones. So, do you guys okay. want horses, bees, or cool inventions? Bees. Bees. Okay. Wow. I was waiting on Lori we to go horses. horses. But, you know, bee, queen bee, you know. Oh, yeah. True. Oh, yeah. True, true, Funny, true. I do like bees. Comes first, yes. <laughs> so we are going to talk about the memorial of Charles Mraz. Uh, he was born July 26th. Ken, 19- no, Ken to Jason Mraz. Darn. I don't believe okay. so. Um, he was. Care. I know. that. I thought so, too. But I didn't see anything. So. Um, He was born July 26th, 1905 in Queens, New York, and he passed away September 13th, 1999 at the ripe old age of 94 uh, in Middlebury, Vermont, and he is buried at the Middlebury Cemetery, Vermont. So why should you give a shit about Charles Mraz? Well, let me tell you. He is a medical innovator and innovative beekeeper. Yep, Ooh, we're gonna okay. double. We're gonna double that. Um, in 1931, he began the Champlain Valley Apiaries, which apiaries is beehives beekeeping mm-hmm. operations. Um, his beekeeping and honey producing business became one of New England's largest and included more than a thousand colonies. In 1932, he discovered that carbolic acid fumes cause bees to take cover at the bottom of the hives. 
This procedure enabled a single beekeeper to harvest more honey at once, making commercial beekeeping more profitable. He also developed bees that were more disease resistant and able to survive lower temperatures, enabling beekeeping in colder climates, including Vermont. (laughs) Moraz's bees were the first producers of light clover honey, which is now recognized as the industry standard for light honey. After allowing his bees to sting him in an effort to relieve his arthritic knees, he became convinced that bee venom could treat a whole range of diseases. And in fact, he is, I mean, I've heard of bee stings being used for like, you know, inflammatory illnesses and stuff for years. So uh, he was recognized in 1992 by the American Beekeeping Federation as one of the five most distinguished beekeepers in the country. He was recognized in the U.S. as a pioneer of bee venom therapy, like we talked about, the use of bee stings to treat various disorders, primarily autoimmune diseases. Um, In addition to initiating clinical research with scientists... (laughs) <laughs> it's late in the day, y'all. Scientists at the Sloan Kettering University or Sloan Kettering Institute and Walter Reed Army Hospital, he established the standard for purity for whole dried venom for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and was supplier of bee venom to pharmaceutical companies throughout the world. Hmm. A founder, okay. a founding member of the American Apotherapy Society. Charlie earned the the gratitude of thousands of people who traveled to his home in Vermont for bee venom treatments or met him at conferences around the world. In 1994, he wrote a book, Health and the Honeybee, and recounted his experience with bee venom therapy. Uh, He was also an organic farmer. He was president and board member of the Natural Food and Farming Association, which is the precursor to the Northern Organic Farming Association. Um, and he did indeed pass away at the ripe old age of 94. So maybe the bees uh, <laughs> were on yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and his grave is very simple. It has his name. It has his dates. And it has a honey beehive. Oh, and so upper cute. Left oh, that's rad. Love it's it. so cute. That is awesome. So that is well, what a cool guy. Yeah. He was he was a really cool dude. I was yeah. like, I've been okay. All right. So That's do right. you want horses or weird inventions? Let's do horses. Let's keep it in the okay. animal kingdom. Yeah. Okay. So Lori Lori caught me on this one, but <laughs> it's not actually who you think. It isn't. Okay. So the cenotaph, because the body in question is not actually buried there. They don't well, somebody knows where the body is buried, but they're not telling. Um, it says Justin Morgan, but it is not Justin Morgan who is buried there. It is the foundation stallion of the Morgan horses figure, um, which even figure is not buried there. But the cenotaph is for him. Mm-hmm. Um Lori, do you want to explain what a Morgan horse is? Oh, God. I, I can't really explain them because I don't know a ton about them. They're a very particular type of horse um, that uh, you're making me, you're putting me on the spot here. Because um, <laughs> I personally have only owned one horse that was half Morgan. But they're like, they're really good for endurance riding. So like long distance, <laughs> um, you know, they're... Uh, Every Morgan I've ever seen has been absolutely gorgeous. They have a very kind face, large eyes. Um, but yeah, I've only, and the one horse we had that was half Morgan, 
the one horse that I never rode that we owned. We owned her when I was a kid, not long. Uh, But yes, I read that because Marguerite Henry was a very popular Mm -hmm. uh, horse book writer uh, eons ago. Justin Morgan had a horse. Justin Morgan had a horse. I read that when I was in elementary school. So when uh, Hannah said Justin Morgan, I was like, as in this guy, Justin Morgan had a horse. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up. No. Yes. Sadly, I don't know more off the top of my head about the Morgan horse, but they are very beautiful um, and were, I know, bred for a very purposeful reason. Yeah. So the foundation stallion of the Morgan horses figure, as was his name, um, was born in 1789 in West Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, And he passed away in 1821. So he lived about 32. Um, Not a bad run, I think. especially for that time (laughs) right that's what i'm saying so he was born in new england and was said to be sired by true britain although john morgan stated in 1846 that he was sired by an imported horse named traveler his mom was bred by a a vermont school teacher justin morgan and was described um as middling size with a heavy chest very light bay color a bushy mane and tail so his name was Figure. Figure was said to honestly, uh, Rosie. Cat shenanigans. I think Rosie took meth. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Figure was said to have stood about 14 hands, which you know I don't know what that means. Four inches in a hand. So so how many times times four? I can't do math. I was a journalism major. Yeah. <laughs> or or how many times does four go into fourteen? three three feet three and a half yeah i don't know yes that that is that is small for a horse Uh, a 14 hand horse is not considered very not big okay and he weighed about 950 pounds which i'm assuming is also skinny for a horse Mm -mm. no that's pretty good for for a horse that size okay so he's a a short horse he was probably short short and stocky okay his compact muscular body who doesn't love a short king <laughs> exactly and stylish way of moving made an impression as to his spring his strength speed and endurance like we talked about mm-hmm. in 1792 figure was advertised for stud before he was given as payment for a debt to justin morgan how they did it back in the day yeah and the concept of advertising things for stud continues to just crack me out of like <laughs> would you like our horses to fuck we've got <laughs> one Oh, yes. And it can be super expensive. There's one uh, in Holly Springs that some people I know have. And I think his stud fee is a thousand dollars. And it's just but he's he's a very well bred running bred horse. He's a Palomino. So if I bred him to secret, the chances of getting a buckskin would be pretty high. So but yeah, no, and usually they do like life full guarantees and stuff. So if you wind up losing the baby, you get, you know, you don't, you're not out. Yeah, you're not out a thousand dollars. But yes, it can be. And don't even get me started on like the racehorses. Oh, those. I can imagine. <laughs> and like, now, do they really, like? Do you have to pay extra to have like Barry White pumped into the stables? To, like, <laughs> I I have no idea, but I will get tell them you in the what, mood. What is wildly popular now, especially with mares, uh, people do embryo transfers. So one female horse can have somebody i dozens of babies yeah in a year. on um hmm. on tiktok they were 
one horse was carrying another horse's mm-hmm. baby because she does good with pregnancies, but her bloodline isn't really worth anything. Right. right. And so they're like, uh, we'll just have her birth some babies. Yeah. No, the, the wild. They, they call them reset mares and you'll get them because the risk of losing your high dollar well-bred, you know, right. Show quality horse is not worth the risk. So you just, and people will actually lease like, so they just lease a horse yeah. for, you know, a year <laughs> and have the baby and then give them back. Or, uh, like Hannah said, there's some people who breed that they just own mares that are good mamas that may not be purebred anything, but they will carry the baby of two, like, world grand champions. Um, and one mare can have multiple babies in a year. Wow. Crazy. I know. Horse surrogacy. God I know. love it. Well, because, because a horse carries for 11 months. So, okay. You know, so, when it's, you think about bad. it, a, yeah. a stallion can have multiple offspring in a year, but a mare, it's only, you know, usually one, and then you rebreed them. And, and so, right. This, this allows them to get more babies. Okay. Yeah. Fancy. Anyway, <laughs> the more you know. Now we know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So from 1793 to 1795, Figure was a gigolo. Um, he just, he his job was to make babies and God love him for it. Um, he was traded to Samuel Allen for land in Moortown, Vermont, and then sold to William Rice in Woodstock, who apparently raced him against New York horses Sweepstakes and Silvertail in Brookfield, uh, where the road is still known as Morgan Mile, and he won 50 bucks, which I'm Whoa. sure in 1795 was pretty good money. At the time, figure became known as the Justin Morgan horse. In 1796, he was advertised at stud by a Jonathan Shepard who used him in match races with great success. The following year, he was traded again. This poor horse. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's back in the day. There's no sentimentality. It's He's useful. Um, he was traded again for a farm, a whole ass farm, one horse, whole <laughs> ass farm. It's insane. But I guess, you know, he's got that magic sperm. So they're like, yeah, <laughs> he's the gift that keeps on giving. And his history gets a little murky for that about eight year period until 1804 when he was traded again to secure a debt. He was owned by the Goss family who advertised him at stud until 1811 when he was sold to Jacob Langmaid. Who used him to haul freight. So he had a job other than, you know, dick. Um, In 1817, he was sold to Samuel Stone, who offered him as a parade mount for President James Monroe in Montpelier, Vermont. In 1819, he was sold for the last time. For the love of God, let this poor boy get some rest. To Levi Bean of Chelsea, Vermont. In the last year of his life, he was put out to pasture. Bless his heart. Where he did unfortunately die from complications of a flank injury caused by a kick from another horse. Oh, yeah. Dicks. Um, at the age of 32, which, hey, which apparently is a good long run. So, no, I, I, I cannot imagine. Yeah, no, because like Miss Piggy is 33 and she, I mean, she's good, but I, that horse gets old lady food, vegetable right. oil, I mean, aloe vera juice. This is the 1800s. He's he's getting hay and maybe a blanket. (laughs) He is remembered as the father of the first American breed of horses known as Morgan. So I guess Morgans are like the first one to originate in the States. Yeah, that's probably right. I know they're, you know, an old breed from the U.S. So that that does make sense. 
Um, the children's book, as we taught, said, Justin Morgan Had a Horse by Marguerite Henry is a fictionalized, fictionalized account of figure's early life. Um, his cenotaph is a very lovely white marble stone with a etching of, I'm assuming, his likeness. Um, and it says, on this farm lies the body of Justin Morgan, Fold, Fold, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. 1789, died 1821, progenitor of the first established American breed of horses, erected by the Morgan Horse Club Incorporated. And that oh. is on the farm in Chelsea, Vermont, um, oh. where his actual body is um, unknown, but they did put a cenotaph for him. Yes. Well, that's nice. That's really cool. And honestly, I didn't know a lot of that. I, you know, I read the book, eon, like, like I said, eons ago. It wasn't my favorite of Marguerite Henry's books. I liked the uh, Misty of Chica Cheek um, series yeah. that was, you know, an, a fictionalized kind of account of uh, that story. So, um, so yeah, it's mm -hmm. nice to be reminded of him. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole now. Because yeah. uh, I thought when uh, we got Ebony... Uh, who's the horse I got for trail riding that's now just a pasture ornament because she has arthritis. <laughs> uh, I thought she might have some Morgan blood and I did a DNA test and the three bloodlines that came back were uh, Tennessee Walker, which I kind of figured, Missouri Foxtrotter, and then um, Country Mountain Horse or <laughs> like originally known as a Kentucky Saddler, which was one of the first American breeds. But I that okay. was a breed I had never even heard of. And I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So cool. Anyway, Hooray! Sheena, we're on to Woo! you now. All right. Well y'all know me. Um <laughs> I like beautiful old houses. So I went about looking for a story based on like what is a pretty old house in Vermont and does it have a good story and I came across this one and I just fell in love with it so here we go in Salisbury Vermont Salisbury. I guess I said Salisbury about, yeah yeah I don't care no offense Vermont there is a beautiful gorgeous senior care facility that's one of the oldest continually run senior care facilities in the state but it wasn't always a Vermont Shady Pines. Uh -oh. um, before that, it was a family home. It stands on four acres. There's a gorgeous two-and-a-half-story mansion, a carriage barn, dairy barn, horse barn, smokehouse, and a mausoleum. Ooh. Because this is where we get to our dead folks. So, I don't know. I just found this whole family and their whole story interesting. And who doesn't want to have your dead folks right there on, on your grounds of your home? Just to remind you. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's a nice memento more. I like, oh, you'll be there eventually. Um, right. So picture it. Salisbury, Vermont, mid-1800s. America isn't even 100 years old yet. And many Americans are immigrants or they're just one or two generations away from their ancestral lands. So a lot of these Americans inherited money, land, homes, and other wealth from England or wherever they were from, but it's the 1800s. It's hard to track people down. So a lot of times they didn't know that they'd come into this inheritance. And in England specifically, if no heir could be tracked down, the crown would just collect the estate. Well, nobody wants that. You know, the crown right. has enough. So some enterprising lawyers in America, like a Vermont lawyer named Columbus Smith, 
uh, became experts in international inheritance law, and he would help Americans claim their rightful estate and, of course, take a little cut for himself, you know, whatever. Well, yeah. That's how lawyers work. Um, so Columbus Smith visited England on behalf of a client and learned all about these abandoned estates. And in 1844, a family from New Jersey, the Rutherfords, contacted Columbus because they thought they should receive some inheritance from a wealthy widow in England. This wealthy widow was named Mary Frances Shard, and she's got kind of a fun story. So in the 1740s, while working as a waitress in a cocktail bar, I'm kidding, she was (laughs) working at a, she was working in a bar. It was the Black Horse Tavern near Trenton. Um, don't we love stories that start this way? Like you're a waitress in literally a. I mean, in anything that happens in the Black Horse Tavern, I assume is monumental in some way. Yeah, for sure. Well, there was a hot Irish lord in there, so she met him, fell in love with him, and hell yeah, get it, girl, get it, yeah. (laughs) But her father, who owned the tavern where she worked, was Scottish. And I guess he hated um, the Irish guy. I guess Scottish people and Irish people hate each other. I don't know. Not um, that I'm aware of. I think this was a personal beef. <laughs> it must be personal, which is fine. Um, he he hated this Irish lord, so he forbade her to see him. And, of course, that just means they're going to run away together. And that's exactly what they did. They ran away right. to uh, Europe. Um, and it turns out the Irish guy's family didn't like Francis either, so they kind of <laughs> Romeo and Julieted it. Um, they went except for the killing each other thing; they didn't do that. Oh, good. Um, they moved to Paris, and the Irish lord dies. Boo, sad. I don't know why. Um, no telling. It I mean, just kind of happened back then. <laughs> yeah, it just happened. Um, so not long after the first husband died, Francis met a much older and wealthier Englishman named yes, she did. Um, Francis. Yes, she did. William Shard. And so they married and they moved to England and they had a wonderful life where she had everything she ever dreamed of. Um, William died at some point. Don't know when. Don't really care. It's not that important to the story. And then Francis died in 1821. She had no kids and left no will. So Damn, that's okay. she had, yeah, she had a ton of money that she could just give away. But nice. she never planned to. I don't know how old she was when she died. I don't know. I'm not that worried about it. Anyway, so the Rutherfords thought they had this claim on her money for whatever reason. I'm not sure how they were kin to her. It doesn't really matter that well. Either way, it took 14 years, six trips to England, and countless hours of research for Columbus to gain all of the proper documentation to connect Francis to the Rutherford family. And Francis's estate was worth $300,000, which I'm not sure if that was in 1800s money or in today's money. I bet it was 1800s money, which that's got to be like. Yeah, worth yeah. a ton in today's money. Either way, they got a nice chunk of change. The Rutherfords did, and then so did Columbus because he took a third. So good for him. Um, this case gained Columbus a ton of attention, and it was great advertising for him. So lots of American families started hiring him to research their family tree and see if he could find any inheritance for them wherever. Um, he was even hired by the Astors, which I'm sure Ooh. that just gave them even more money as right. if they needed they definitely it. need more. Yeah. Um, 
Columbus, who, by the way, had very intense facial hair, but it was really more like a neck beard kind of thing. <gasps> like all of this was all grown out. And then all of this, which are like mutton chops, I guess, um, like his face was pretty clean shaven. Then his whole neck was fuzzy, um, okay. which good for him, I guess. Um, not as he, coolly bearded as that one dude. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, I, I, I think nice about that guy gentleman, but again. as you should, um, I mean, he was a nice looking enough guy, but yeah, I, I'm like, I, I, I wouldn't wear that, but I'm not a dude living in 1866. Anyway, when he, right. when it was 1866 and when he was 47, he married for the first time. Um, well, the only time come to think of it. Um, he married a lady named Harriet Jones, who was 33, and they had two kids, William and Mary. William was born in 1867. Mary was born in 19, 19, 1870. <laughs> I notice I do that a lot on the show. I'm like, I need to watch my years because I'm so bad about saying 19, whatever, which it's not even the 19s anymore, Sheena. I know. We're so old. <laughs> so old. Don't remind me, please. Oh, I was reading today that Cher's hit Believe is 25 years old. And I'm like, well, shut up. Yeah, let me no. let me just move into Shady Pines right now. <laughs> oh, no, that's so, like course. when they're like fucking melancholy is like 30 years old. 30. Like, shut your yeah. fucking mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to know that neither. Nope. Um, nope. Yeah. Gosh, I didn't mean to yawn. Sorry, y'all. Um, so, of course... Columbus needs a perfect home for his growing family. So major construction began on this mansion, which would be the centerpiece of a then 700 acre estate. Um, major construction was finished in 1874 and the mansion sat on land where his ancestors had once lived in a log cabin, which okay. makes sense if you're an inheritance lawyer. Um, the mansion, built from ashlar marble from Cornwall, which sounds fancy, features right. 30 rooms and cost $175,000, which is a lot in Damn. 1866. Yeah. It's a lot of money. And he named this beautiful home Shard Villa after <laughs> Francis Shard, where he got all the money from and really kind of helped set off his career. You know what? Good for him. He acknowledges. Yeah, do it. His, he his he acknowledges. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Yeah, this is where I got my money from. So yeah, Shard Villa. Sure. Um, it is still standing. That's why I'm talking about this house is because it's very lovely. Um, but the mansion is not just a home for the Smith family, but it's also a bit of a museum for the antiques and art that he brought home from his travels because he traveled everywhere because he had a lot of money. Um, from something called Vermont, a guide to the Green Mountain State, um, it says, this is a, a description of the home. The walls and ceilings of the ground floor rooms are completely covered with frescoes by Silvio Pizzoli, Caesar, uh, Nero, Cicero, Romulus and Remus, and other Romans greet the visitor from the walls of the entrance hall. Um, from every ceiling, nymphs, cherubs, and graces gaze down on the marble at the marble busts, the heavy Victorian furniture, the oriental rugs, the one in the dining room concealing an inlaid recumbent deer, and the elaborate mantles of marbleized slate. So it's got the nicest of the nicest crap. You know, it's all fancy. <laughs> Love it's it. It's the kind of thing like, 
I want a home like this. Like I want all this nice fancy stuff. And then like, if y'all look at my house, I mean, like I have posters on the wall, like I'll be putting thumbnail tacks up and yes, all that's ma'am. I'm, I'm, I'm not classy enough to have one of these classy houses, but it's my dream. To I have a classy still house. use command strips. So no, we're I know. Yeah. Like you got to, they're useful. Um, Anyway, but yeah, the estate had all kinds of livestock plus some bison. And like I said earlier, had like a dairy barn and a smokehouse. Everything you would need if you're a rich, fancy family. Uh, but the mausoleum wasn't there initially because no one had died yet. But we're getting mm -hmm. to that. Excellent. Um, now, in addition to his lawyerly work, he was also the director of a local bank. Um, he acquired property across the U.S. and built many new buildings. Real estate was his jam. After the Great Chicago Fire, Hannah, Chicago always plays into these. Um, he went to Chicago to develop new property because, hey, money, money, money. He saw an opportunity and he went and got it. Oh, yeah. Why how about not? it, dude? Um, meanwhile, Harriet joined a lot of ladies clubs and committees because that's kind of all a woman can do. But, I mean, you know, that's giving back to your community. So good for you. They hosted a lot of big, huge parties at the house. Um, apparently, they hosted a party with 100 guests at a huge event in 1875. And everything I read was like, oh, it was so fancy. And I'm like, wish I could be there for it, possibly. <laughs> um, I don't know. I also like having rights. Not like I have a whole lot, but I have a few. Anyway, let's not get off into that. Okay, so Columbus, Harriet, William, and Mary were all living a very charmed life. But unfortunately, the tides would eventually turn. So when William was 14, he contracted meningitis and died mm. on June oh. 13th, 1881. Mm. And this is when Columbus had the mausoleum built on the estate, which, you know, it's an interesting, it's interesting to me. I would love to, I wish we could go back in time and talk to him about that choice. Like why build the mausoleum on the estate? Why not have a family cemetery where they're in the ground or why not take, and have like a nice plot at a local cemetery. I don't know. I would love to know his thought process. Maybe because it was his kid. And so he yeah. wanted his child close. Maybe so. Yeah, that's that's, what I that's my only guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, the mausoleum is, of course, very ornate. It says it has glass shelves with to hold the glass topped coffins. I don't. I don't. I have no desire to see my dead. My loved one rotting away. I trust that the process will happen. I don't need to see it. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Well, that's but interesting. Grief makes it weird. Yeah. Grief well, makes things weird. One True. of the uh, graves that I came across when I was looking at Vermont is this doctor who had a window put into his grave to make sure he was dead. So, yeah. like, there's this grave is still there. I mean, you can't see anything because it's so, the condensation has just fogged it up. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. there's, like, a window where, I guess, right after it, you could look in and see his rotting corpse. So, well, yeah. and didn't and glass and the, um The red woman. The lady in red. Yeah, have, yeah she yeah. had the, the coffin with the window as well. I don't know. I just think it's a weird choice, but... Again, um, who am I to make fun of someone's choices they make during grieving? Because you know, I've watched, it. yeah, I've watched the Prices Right, the Barker era every morning since my mama died, and I don't know why. It, you know, you you do whatever you do to get you through the day, and if I don't start Absolutely. my day with some stupid Bob Barker, then it's like I don't know what to do with myself. So I, I don't okay. know why. 
I don't know why I chose it. I think just because it was something to take my mind off things, which I don't know why. Yeah. Sheena, tell your stupid story. I didn't take my <laughs> Ritalin today. Okay, so Columbus remained active in his business, and he and Harriet continued to travel, but they were obviously devastated by the loss of their son. Like, I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah, I know no. kids, you know, you you were likely to lose your kids early back then, but I don't care. It That still has to hurt. I mean, it yeah. didn't I don't mean care. they didn't love their kids. You know what I'm I saying? I know. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing of, like, we talk about with, like, the infant mortality rate being so insane yeah. and them, like, not really naming their kid to, like, age five or whatever. Those parents still love those kids. Oh, yeah. hundred um, percent. His friends remarked that William's death really aged Columbus and it softened his mind is how they worded mm. it. Oh, man. Yeah. Which, yeah, I... I believe that. Um, I'm right in the middle of my mind softening pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, grief absolutely destroys how you think in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I get it. Um, but the couple's daughter, Mary, was doing pretty well until she reached her 20s. Um, she wasn't doing great. She was kind of sickly. I got the impression it was sort of a consumption tuberculosis type thing. Even then, yeah. she was traveling out west for her health, which is a lot of times oh, yeah. what they did. So that's usually had, a like, lung ailment. Yeah. Um, she was doing well enough, though, to get married. She married Dr. Alexander McDowell of Bowling Green, Virginia in 1896. Bowling the Green, wedding... Virginia? Not Kentucky? Oh, I don't know. That's what it said on some website. Okay. Maybe that was Virginia at the time. Or or maybe, maybe there is I, one in Virginia. I typed I it know. wrong. Maybe I typed it in wrong. Or maybe doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> okay. So... It's just a Dr. Alexander McDowell. We'll just say There we that. go. <laughs> in 1896, the wedding took place at Shard Villa and, of course, was one of the social events to end all social events. Um, but unfortunately, their wedding bliss did not last long. They had been married only a little over a year when Mary died of tuberculosis. It was mm. September 28, 1897, and she was just 27. So yeah. she was buried in the family's mausoleum. And again, Columbus and Harriet were just absolutely devastated, losing yeah. both kids. Um, and Harriet said later that it was shortly after Mary's death that uh, she had to start taking care of the family's estate and wealth because Columbus just couldn't. He just Plus couldn't handle heart. it. Which I get it. I, I can't imagine losing your two children so early. Yeah. Um so his health took a serious downturn. He was checked into sanitariums twice, mm. um, once for depression, once for Bright's disease. And his mental okay. health started to wane um, and he became delusional. He thought people were stealing money from him. And in the end, he lost his ability to speak. Um, but mm. he lived Bless to a ripe old age. He lived That's to be good. 90. He, wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he lived for a long time, but I, I get the the impression, probably the grief and just not yeah. great health care at the time. Well, probably and I can't imagine dementia. that sanitariums at the time were great. <laughs> no, probably not. Um, so he died on November 20th, 1909. And then Harriet followed 10 years later. She died okay. on April 30th, 1919 at the age of 85. Hmm. Um, and a very sad addition to this story this really makes me sad um obviously by the way harriet and columbus are buried in the mausoleum we're going to get back to the mausoleum in a second um mary's husband alexander who i don't know where he's from he did go on to remarry and 
but their second wife died in childbirth, but their son survived. Okay. But Alexander was devastated by his wife's loss, or the, the wife, the the wife of his loss, his the wife. loss of his wife. Um, and he actually completed suicide in 1908. Aww. He was just 41. Oh, that, that he was holding. Family. I know there's so much tragedy and I'm like, I was rooting for y'all and then something, I don't know who they ticked off, but, but yeah, um, Alexander was holding a picture of his wife when he killed himself. Um, he, his birth dates are listed at the Shard Villa Mausoleum, but he is not buried there. I'm not sure where he's buried. Um, he had remained close with Columbus and Harriet. Had he outlived Columbus, he actually would have been. In his inheritance, he would have received some money and a room in perpetuity at Shard Villa. Oh, but that's he, nice. I know. I thought that was very nice. Um, I, I guess because he did not outlive Columbus. Though, right. You know. So, what is Shard Villa up to these days? Well, in his will, um, and this, it gets kind of funny, but it gets kind of sad. Um, it's, it's a bit of both because, God, mental... When your brain is wonky, your brain is wonky. <laughs> yeah. So in his will, Columbus said he wanted the home to be converted into a nursing home for, and I quote, old Christian women not addicted to drink, which <laughs> I love I'm it. like, well, sir, why okay, can't we have old want... ladies, old ladies who are addicted to drink? Okay. We need to help out our ladies who have some addictions. He doesn't want filthy old drunk ladies in his house. I want filthy old drunk ladies in my house. I mean, Listen, I'm looking my, forward to it. My grandmother my old- drank Miller Lite every day and told dirty jokes. That's yes. exactly who I want in my life. Look, in my 60s, God willing, I get there. I'm. That's when I started a drinking habit. Like, <laughs> I figure if I make mark it, it that down far, now, everybody. Yes. I get to start fucking shit up. <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, so he wanted the 90s. I might pick up meth who knows god no please don't don't ever do meth at any age please um we'll find you something else a little more chill we'll put you on mushrooms there we go there we go yeah i'll just trip through my old age yeah i'm here for it um so yeah so he wanted the home to be a nursing home for older ladies he wanted the rest of his estate to pay for its operation um so this was what the house was going to do it was all planned out but a grandniece and a grandnephew stepped in and challenged it saying well he's disinherited his whole family by doing this and his will which he wrote in 1897 the year his daughter died and he updated it through 1903 when granted he's not at the top peak mm-hmm. mental whatever he did have some funny things in there and and i think these are legit i just think he was funny he gave a dollar to his brother-in-law to quote buy a feather for his cap when he played soldier or a whistle and rattle to amuse himself in his declining <laughs> years okay um, you can't tell me that was not meant to be that he meant that that was bitchy that, that was that, bitchy. it was it was. And to his wife, he left $25,000 or 50000 if she preferred. <laughs> which I'm well, like, gee, I wonder which one I prefer. I know. Yeah. So I was like, you know, they're like, okay, this is evidence that he was not in his right mind when he made the will. And the whole thing goes to court. As many as 112 witnesses testified about Columbus's mental state in the last 10 years of his life. The case ended in a hung jury. So the county court declared his will valid, which I would too. Yeah. So Harriet was alive for a lot of this because, like I said, she didn't pass away till after 10 years after he 
he died. And she said, no, this will is valid. And I'm like, listen to the, listen to the widow. If she says her brother-in-law or her brother should get a dollar to put a feather in his cap, he gets a dollar. Um, so yeah, after she died, um, the house became a nursing home officially in 1922, which like I said, um, he, this it's 2023 now. So it's been a continually run nursing home since then. So it makes it one of the oldest ones in the state. Um, also had Alexander lived, he was a doctor. Columbus had also said that he could have been the nursing home's resident physician there. So he had set Alexander up with like a home, you know, a house there, like a, yeah, a room right. there and a job and all this. So like he was taking care of his son-in-law in a really lovely way. Um, Aww. so yeah, so Shard Villa is still a nursing home and is still open. If you go to their Facebook page, it is full of the most adorable pictures of these residents who look like they are having a blast. It says they have anywhere from well, we 15 to 18 residents. <laughs> I don't know, based on some, <laughs> I don't know, maybe they are. Um, it says that the um, nursing home is really sort of like this brick addition behind the main estate. Um, it looked like they had some cats and Ooh. and dogs. And I was like, oh, my God, I, can I live there? Like, I don't like cold weather, but I want to go live there. Um, the mausoleum is still there, of course. And this was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1988. Um, so I'm just going to read this because I just thought this was lovely. Like, paint this mental picture for yourself. In warm months, the porches and verandas provide grand views overlooking the expansive grounds. The Adirondacks, Adirondacks to the west and the Green Mountains to the east. Our residents enjoy walking our beautiful lawns graced by many black locust, pine, apple trees, and flowering lilacs. Summer months bring a source of pride and bounty for residents from our vegetable and flower gardens. Some seek a shady spot for reading and introspection. Others may choose to garden or sit and visit in the sun. Our neighbors are dairy farmers and cows are a regular part of the panorama along with frequent wildlife sightings. We love to enjoy the tranquility and quiet of our Vermont, rural Vermont setting. Isn't that lovely? I love it. Lovely. Like... I, I hope these folks are living it up. Um, I don't know if you can just go visit. Like, I, I would love right. to go tour the house, but I don't know if you can. Because it is a, a private, I mean, it is a, a facility right. for senior for citizens. Yeah. And I don't know if you can just go visit the mausoleum either. Um, but it does appear that they're hiring. So if you're living in Vermont, go go get a job there. Um, they also take donations. We are recording this on Giving Tuesday. You can donate funds to help maintain the house. Or to its grounds, or to enhance the lives of its residents. So, like, you can pick where your money goes, which I thought was really cool. Slip um, those ladies a flask or two. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, and I made a note, too, that, yeah, they have an orange tabby named Willie who likes to ride on the residents' walkers. He's so cute. <laughs> um, and a beautiful black barn cat. They had a lot of barn cats. And their, their chef is named Lori, L-O-R-I, like our Lori. I love it. And, by the way, Columbus still haunts the property. Of course he does. Oh, they didn't find much go. else about it, just that they see him walking the grounds. Which I'm like, I would too if this was my beautiful house. So, this is my wannabe beautiful house. And that's the mausoleum right there on the grounds. And I don't know. I just, I kind of fell in love with this little family and their beautiful house. That I won't, but I don't want to kick out the old people. I love old people. Just <laughs> like, move in with the old people. 
I'm I sure want to. Yeah. I, they looked like they were having a ton of fun. I just. I've seen I don't like know, TikToks have... of ladies that like, like a girl who's like younger than us who like lives in an age restricted apartment building for some, but she just lives with the elders and yeah, she has a great I, time. I love elderly people. I just, I think they're awesome. They've, they've done so much. They've learned so much. They can be as saucy as they want to be. And who's going to tell them no? Exactly. Like, are you going to tell yeah. a 90 year old woman not to cuss or something? Like, no, you're not. Anyway. Okay. That's my story about this Yay. beautiful house. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Go All right. So, yes, today we are taking a tour of a cemetery that I had never heard of, but I, I am now very much obsessed with. Um, but before we get to just the fucking amazing headstones of <laughs> Hope Cemetery, I feel it necessary to give you a brief history lesson of the town and the industry that has made it famous. Hope Cemetery is located in the city of Bar, Vermont, not to be confused with the town of Bar, which is like they're right next to each other. Uh, but apparently the town is comprised of smaller villages, which didn't know villages were still oh. a thing in the United States. And oh, yeah. Bar City was incorporated as its own city and they operate separately. But yeah. anyway, a lot of the suburbs are villages here yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it interesting, but so the area that would become the city of Bar was first settled in 1780. There wasn't a whole lot of growth until the arrival of the railroad to the region after the War of 1812. So, this particular area of Vermont features a massive granite deposit which geologists have said is four miles long, two miles wide, and 10 miles deep. Jesus. In fact, the granite quarry is considered the world's largest, and I'm doing air bonies with this because this is just this word is air bonies. Air bunnies, <laughs> yeah. Uh, air bunnies. I thought you said air bonies, and I was oh. like, they're bones yeah, now? No. <laughs> no, they could be because finger bones. Uh, True. The granite quarry is considered the world's largest deep hole granite quarry. Bar gray granite is renowned for its, quote, fine grain, even texture, and superior weather resistance, end quote, and is believed okay. to be used for a third of all cemetery monuments in North America. So, Sheena, oh. I'm sure you have cleaned your fair share of... Uh, bar gray granite yes probably the quarry which first began operations in 1885 as the el smith quarry is now known as the rock of ages quarry um Hell and so yeah. its opening led to an influx of uh, master artisans from all over europe although most of them came from italy who sought their fortune in the booming granite industry so now to hope cemetery it was first established in either 1895 or 1899, depending on the source, uh, by landscape architect Edward P. Adams and initially consisted of 53 acres. That has expanded uh, to, I think, like 65 now. It could be even greater. Again, I was seeing different, different, different amounts, depending on what source I was on. Uh, due to the late 1800s of it all, many of the artists working with the granite would go on to develop a respiratory disease called silicosis, 
from breathing in the silica dust yeah. particles from the granite, which led to a higher death rate. Also referred to as the stonecutter's tuberculosis, the disease mm. was rampant among the artisans bar due to the poor ventilation uh, in their workspaces. Silicosis was not a problem in their homeland because the mild temperatures allowed them to work in areas with like open sides so that it could be ventilated, right. the workspace. Um, so according to pulmonologist Stephen Newman, quote, it's not just shortness of breath. They can develop tuberculosis. They can develop cancer of the lungs related to silicosis, end quote. So like yeah. lung cancer. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's like, I mean, there's a couple of other industries, too, where it, if those particles get into your lungs, they can just fuck you up completely. Yeah. And uh, silica is basically there's those little packets in every yeah. item you get that says do not eat that my cats try to eat yeah. yes oh my goodness so additionally people who suffered from silicosis might experience autoimmune joint diseases like lupus mm. or rheumatoid arthritis that Jesus. is painful no thanks so it's not surprising that silicosis compound compounded by the 1918 spanish flu pandemic led folks to start thinking about how they want to be remembered this was especially true for the artists of the area who v viewed their monuments as an opportunity to showcase their skill. As such, an estimated 75% of the monuments in Hope Cemetery were carved by the residents of the cemetery itself. Aww. Oh, cool. So now we're going to get into some of my favorite graves that I saw that there were stories that I could talk about. Uh, there are so many really cool headstones that like, uh, there's just... These are just a couple of many. <laughs> so we'll start with Luigi Giovanni Brusa. I think I said Oh, that. that's a great name. Who went, there's a lot of Italians in this. Is he from Who, Italy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Italian by any yes. chance? Yes. <laughs> but he went by Louis. He was born okay. in Italy in 1886 and was one of the most popular stonecutters to immigrate to Vermont. He carved the intricate angel monument that marks the graves of his parents, Ernesto and Maria, and brother Caesar. Known Aww. as the Bored Angel, the statue features a bored-looking female angel with a trumpet slung over one leg. She is gorgeous, just so beautiful, and is a testament to his talent as an artist. Sadly, Brusa became a victim of silicosis. For Aww. years, he struggled with a persistent cough and shortness of breath. And knew he was going to die. So he wanted his monument to be a reminder of what those stonecutters went through and the harsh conditions they faced in the early 1900s. So he enlisted fellow stonecutter Donato Coletti to carve his gravestone. And the way Atlas Obscura described it, I'm, this is a direct quote. It was just so beautifully written. It, it, it reads... In his final moments, he crumpled back into a seat of rough stone. His arms limp at his side. A devoted woman to his right looks after him with affectionate concern and perhaps a bit of surrender, rubbing his chest. It's a touching scene carved entirely from gray granite. Aww. And Brusa lost his battle with silicosis on December 13th, 1937. He was 51 years old. Oh. So, mm. yes. The next monument I'm going to talk about is that of another popular stonecutter named Ilia Corti. He was born in the same region of Italy as uh, our previous man, Mr. 
Brusa, uh, on December 21st, 1869. He made a name for himself again as a stonecutter of Italian marble before immigrating to Vermont, where he became one of the area's most well-known and well-respected granite sculptors. He was also known for his politics, and I did not get into it because you can go down a rabbit hole talking about unions. I mean, I remember um, in one of my college classes, I watched a documentary about a coal miner strike in Kentucky. Yes, I remember that that. too. It is Dr. Um, Dr. Atkins' class. It it was horrifying. Maybe. Uh, there, there was a murder affiliated with it, but it's yeah, basically... remember Sheena, we watched that we were in class together. Yeah. Yep. That's Dr. It was, class. Pro- yeah, it was probably his class that I watched it too. Uh, but it was, yeah. So basically that is what was going on. So the, the, the union, there were 15 unions of granite workers and they were trying, albeit in different manners to get the my or not mine the quarry owners to provide better working conditions because their people are dying and you know they they there were different extremes um for you know what the different union was and elia started his uh career as a union leader and worker as an anarchist Ooh, heck yeah <laughs> Hell yeah. But yes, yes. So he softened his views a little bit after he got married to his wife, Ernesta, and the birth of their three daughters. Um, so he he then transitioned from an anarchist to become a member of the Socialist Labor Party. Okay. Sadly, Elia was shot in the stomach during a disagreement at a meeting between socialist and anarchist groups the evening Christ. of October 3rd, 1903. He was rushed to a nearby hospital where he succumbed to his wounds 30 hours after he was shot. Ugh, oh, painful. Uh, the the guy who shot him, Andrew Goretto, was arrested and sentenced to no less than 10 to 12 years in a state prison. Um, upon his release, he apparently returned to bar briefly, but is then thought to have fled back to Italy. Um, okay. Probably for the best. Yeah. So- <laughs> Elia's massive tombstone was carved by his business partners, his brother William and his brother-in-law, John Comey. It's cut from a single piece of granite and features a life-size figure of Elia sitting in quiet contemplation. And there's carvings around him of his most often used tools. And apparently it bears a very striking resemblance to the man. And again, fucking gorgeous. I just looked it up. It is stunning. Yeah. Beautiful. There's one similar in Elmwood, and I notice a lot of the symbolism in this, like the monument cut in half is like a life cut short and like mm-hmm. the palm tree. And yeah. like there's so much that's a lot of that symbolism. But, yeah, that's and the un, the stone being not finished is a life mm-hmm. not finished, all that yeah. good stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, that's that's gorgeous. And it's massive. It is. They are all huge. Like, there's they some all, yeah, all of these are absolutely huge. Yeah, there's a couple, Beautiful. and I'll I'll talk about one in a minute. That's that's more a little smaller, um, but so now I'll talk about some of the more current monuments. Um, my favorite of which is the graves of married couple William and Gwendolyn Halvosa. So this sweet sweet monument features the couple side by side in twin beds with their arms stretched out, holding hands. 
Aww. I just saw that one. I thought that was lovely. It is so sweet. So it apparently, uh, in one of the many articles or websites I was reading on, they would lay in bed together every night and read. Aww. And so William commissioned this headstone after Gwendolyn died in 1953. She was only 48. Um, mm. And allegedly he would go to the cemetery every night and lay on his side of the bed and just read his book. Shut Aww. up. I'm going to cry. Again, whether or not that happened or not, it's just, it's, it's, it's very sweet. And. Oh, he, the inscription is killing me. Oh yes. Yeah. So he joined his wife in 1989 and the inscription on their just absolutely fucking gorgeous headstone reads, set me as a seal upon thine heart for love is strong as death, which is a quote from the song of Solomon. That's beautiful. And just gorgeous there's another one there uh that i was going to talk about that's another married couple and it's an engraving of their likeness the wife is still alive but uh the husband has passed and it's it's another gorgeous one where it's just them carved in stone and it's beautiful mm. uh so many of the monuments features uh showcase the dece- deceased love of sports or other hobbies there's a soccer ball an airplane mm-hmm. a baseball player and even an 18 wheeler <laughs> I love it. There's also a half-size replica of a stock car marked with the number 61 that serves as the monument for Joey LeQuaire, the third uh, champion stock car, snowmobile, and go-kart racer who tragically oh, wow. died after a snowmobile accident on January 3rd, 1991 at the age of Aww. 27. Aww. Oh my God, a baby. He was married and he left behind his pregnant wife, Jody. Aww. And their three-year-old daughter, Ashley. Oh, Y'all want to know what makes it even worse? Yes. Oh, God. He died on his daughter's birthday. Oh, great. Oh, gee. Great. Thanks, no Lori. I know. Just bring Thanks, it Lori. down. And also, hey, this I've, angel I've does look incredibly bored. <laughs> Doesn't Bruce's she? angel just looks pissed. <laughs> Doesn't she? His, his yeah, family. We, we've got to go to this place. This is yeah. No, really seriously, I, I I want to go so bad. And apparently, it's I'm a big go tourist. To I'm gonna lumberjack. Yeah. So get some <laughs> LL Bean. We're gonna have a great time. Um, so his family was a well-known racing family in the area. Like his father had raced, his brothers raced. They dedicated the 1991 season to his memory, and his brother mm-hmm. Jeff would go on to name his son Joey. To honor his brother. So Aww. sweet. In an even more tragic turn of events. Jesus. Little, little Joey would pass away from injuries sustained in an ATV accident on October 25th, 2014 at the age of 17. Christ. This family needs to stay off of altering vehicles. I yes. know. Uh, so sad. He was a high school senior with dreams of becoming a game warden. But he was also a talented stock car driver alongside his dad and grandfather and uncle. Um, he was buried next to his mother, Deborah, who I just context clues, I believe, most likely passed away from ALS just from where they were asking donations to be sent to. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I just again. thought of the meanest thing. Oh, no. Don't oh. say it. Don't say it. Okay. Say, say it, on say it off mic. Say, say it <laughs> yeah. off mic. Uh, okay, hold on. Derek, start here and delete everything I say after this.
Derek, continue back. Well, edit. Yes, yes. Edit that out. Edit that out. Oh my goodness, Hannah and her her, her uh, goblin brain. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes. So little Joey, who died on the ATV, not the snowmobile, was uh, buried with his mother at Hope Cemetery, and their their joint headstone isn't quite as intricate as the others. But it is still beautifully made from that bar granite and features a cross on either side, surrounded by, again, I'm terrible with flowers, so it looks like calla lilies. Um, There's three. And it's just, it's a very sweet, and then the the name inscription is just this beautiful text, this uh, script font. Um, So yeah, I could continue this journey and just tell you about all these other fucking amazing uh statues and monuments one that's like a fucking clue that you have to solve yes they are fucking crazy and and did you google the story of the couple who the lady is in the guy's cigar smoke or whatever that is yes that was that one that was one of them but i'm like i gotta i gotta because this last one is i'm okay there's some ties to current events so i'm like okay Okay. i gotta stop so, again, I could continue the guy with the girlfriend in the smoke, just all of them. But I'm going to end today with a memorial that is located in Hope Cemetery, the 1918 Spanish Flu Memorial oh. that was commissioned by Vermont restaurant owner Brian Zeccanelli and his wife to honor the nearly 200 people in bar who lost their lives during the pandemic. And so... Oh. Bar was ha- saw the most deaths from the Spanish flu than any other city in Vermont, oh, probably wow. because of silicosis. But yeah, right, they were probably. already sick. Yeah, they yeah. were already sick, and the flu didn't make it uh, any easier. So Brian had known that his grandfather had died during this time, but he didn't know much else. Uh, he found out that his grandfather Germino, or, or Germanio. I'm going to call him Germino. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. It's not was, Geronimo, is it? It is not Geronimo. <laughs> okay. uh, I think it's Germinio. Germinio. Okay, I got it. Uh, he was a granite worker who died from the flu at the age of 35. Um, Brian was really shocked to learn that there were no memorials honoring the more than 675,000 Americans who died during that Spanish flu era. In an interview with the New York Times, he said, quote, there was a plaque in Colorado and maybe something small in Australia. And that was it. I thought, this is crazy. This flu changed America forever. It changed the world. I've got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. So more than 100 granite workers and bars succumbed to the flu in just a three week window during its height in 1918, which led to the town running out of caskets. And they had to use wicker baskets to transport the bodies of the dead. Jesus. In some instances, family members would flee their homes and leave the bodies of their their dead behind. Mm. Um, And I'm I'm sure, Sheena, this is uh, ringing bells about uh, Memphis and the... um, Yellow fever. Yellow fever. Yeah. Exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. The death rate was so rampant that most of the victims were buried in Section K of the cemetery and only have a simple slab marker for each Mm. victim. So nothing intricate, just, and it's the one that kind of is built into the ground. Um, So the Spanish flu memorial is a five-ton granite bench that stands five feet tall and three feet deep with um, 
and the front of it says 1918 Spanish flu memorial killed more Americans than all the combat war deaths in the 20th century inscribed Mm. on the front and on the back it reads over 50 million deaths worldwide dedicated to the more than 1700 people who died in Vermont many in the prime of life and loving memory of Germino Zeccanelli, born January 26, 1883, died October 10th, 1918, on the back. And you know, this, go ahead. I was just going to say, killed more Americans than all the combat war deaths in the 20th century. That says That's something. really saying something, Absolutely. especially Absolutely. those. But, but tell those me, World Wars. But tell me that COVID's not real. Tell me the Spanish flu isn't real. Tell me yellow fever wasn't real. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's people so have been yellow fever truthers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course there are. It's, Why did I even ask? And and there were people who denied, um, what do you call it? Spanish flu, too. Like, there were people, like, you had to wear a mask out in public then, too. And, like, they would fine you. And people would be like, yeah, fine me. I don't care. And I'm like, okay, well, then dive Spanish people flu. People are ridiculous. People are Yeah, ridiculous. they're not going to believe anything ever because, God forbid. Anyway. So, yeah, the, the memorial is a mere 100 yards from Section K, so where the, the flu victims reside. And the memorial was dedicated in October of 2018, almost 100 years exactly to the date of Germino's death from the disease. Yeah. And there were some articles about it that came out right around uh, 2020. Um, obviously tying it to COVID and how long is it going to take for there to be COVID memorials? Um, But yeah, so that is just a small sampling of the beautiful headstones at this cemetery, Hope Cemetery in Bar, Vermont. Um, They, the, the quarry does tours where they will, um, you'll go to the quarry and then you go to the the cemetery could not the cemetery itself does not have a website i looked i don't know who the fuck manages this this cemetery so i don't know if you can be buried there i don't know how it works uh but it is gorgeous and yes we have to go that breaks my heart they could be i mean can you imagine the money they could raise by giving tours and talking about these people yeah i could find hosting events i googled so hard to try to find the anything about the cemetery and it's just yeah like, like friends of could, the cemetery yeah or something. all it was yeah. like it's it's managed by the city and mm-hmm. i couldn't find anything else uh bar vermont call us we're all in marketing <laughs> yeah right. exactly yeah, i seriously. can market that from memphis trust me <laughs> for sure oh yeah with my eyes sure. closed and one hand tied behind no give us an excuse to go to vermont yes Heck yes yes all right hannah you're gonna wind us out with your last two. we are Woo-hoo. so one of these expanded a little bit more than i planned but that's okay because you know what it's me <laughs> And I have to atone for being mean off mic. (laughs) (laughs) So in the Shelburne Village Cemetery in Shelburne, Vermont, um, you will find the graves of the Mitchell couple, William Alexander and Ruth Cobby. William's uh, epitaph reads 1911 to 2004, loving husband, father of seven, Superman granddad, Inventor of Pop Rocks. Ooh. Yes. Scientist, historian, teacher, musician, gardener. To become a champion, work hard and play hard. Use your common sense. Be kind and polite. 
deliver the message to Garcia. Now I leave you first to command. That's all for your dime. I his love pop rocks. I'm so okay. excited about this. Oh, William or Bill to his friends did more than that, but we'll get into it. Next to him hey, is his pop wife. Rocks is, if if I literally invented pop rocks, I would stop. I would like, I've accomplished. Right. That's all the most. I would do. I'm done. And I yes. love that that's like third on his list behind being a dad and a girl. I know. I know. I don't care about your kids. So, Tell me about great. your pop rocks. So Ruth Kobe, 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 not sure. Um, hers was nineteen fourteen to nineteen ninety nine. Hers is loving wife, mother of seven, pioneer woman, politician, three term mayor. Okay. Dedicated to improving humanity, poet. The torch I carried for so short a span of time, relatively speaking, I must pass now, knowing that many ca- many corners I had hoped to light remain unglowing. The lament hmm. of a retiring mayor. Oh. So, we're going to talk a little bit about Bill, because Bill's fucking awesome. So, Dr. William A. Mitchell, again, Bill to his friends, was born October 21st, 1911, and died july 26 2004 similar to our good friend charles Mraz, who was born july 26 so <laughs> synchronicities what can you do um he was a food chemist who while working for general foods corporation between 1941 and 1976 was the key inventor behind pop rocks tang cool whip and powdered egg whites during his career he received I love this over man. 70 patents uh, okay. He was born, yeah. He was born in Raymond, Minnesota, and he passed away in 2004 in Stockton, California, at the age of 92, um, where he was living with his daughter, who one of his daughters, who we will get to because she also is kind of cool. Um, when he was a teenager, he ran the sugar crystallization tanks at the American Sugar Beet Company, and only slept two hours a night before going to school in the mornings. He earned an undergraduate degree at Cotner College in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then graduated with a master's degree in chemistry from the University of Nebraska. So good stocky Midwestern boy. <laughs> Mitchell got a research job at the Agricultural Equipment Station in Lincoln, Nebraska. A lab accident there left him with second and third degree burns over most of his body. Unfortunately, no superpowers. Yeah. So, oh, damn, man. I don't uh, know. He, he drove... made pop rocks. That's a superpower. Uh, that's name. true. That's true. He did make fucking cool whip too. So I'm like, I'm yeah, into it. Yeah. Thank you for the cool whip, sir. Yes. <laughs> we appreciate your service. <laughs> yes. He joined General Foods in 1941. He first major success came with a tapioca substitute he helped develop during World War II uh, in response to disruption of cassava supplies, which I did not realize was an issue, but apparently it was. Um, the tapioca quickly became known as Mitchell Mud within the infantry <laughs> in World War II. In 1957, he invented the fruit-flavored vitamin-enhanced drink that became known as Tang. And NASA started using Tang in 1962 in their space program. In 1956, he created instantly self-carbonating soda, which resulted in the creation of Pop Rocks. <laughs> Although they weren't sold until 19. 19- 75 he received the process for he received a patent for its manufacturing process in 1961 in 1967 he introduced cool whip which became the largest and most profitable line in its division very quickly because cool whip is fucking amazing yes it is he received 70 patents in total during his career 
Um, and he was actually a resident of Lincoln Park, New Jersey, for some time uh, before he retired to California uh, with his daughter. Uh, he was married to Ruth Cobby Mitchell, and they had seven children. His daughter, Cheryl, Mitch- Cheryl Mitchell, is also a food scientist. Now, I did a little digging on Cheryl. <laughs> Cheryl is a food scientist who created the hyd. For the record, I used to work for the um, Institute for Food Technologists. So food scientists mm-hmm. are a thing that I'm deeply interested in because they do really cool shit. Um, So she created the hydro release milling process. Um, She's a chief scientist at a company called Elmhurst Milk, milked, I'm sorry, and a creator of a line of plant-based milks. Oh, cool. So go Cheryl. Yeah. We we love to see a girl boss, girl boss. That's right. Make your dad proud, girly pop. Um. So he, again, died of heart failure uh, on July 26th at the age of 92. Um, and we have him to thank for Pop Rocks, Cole Whip, Tang, and a host of other shit. All good things. That's awesome. All good things. Now we're staying on the food train. Because our next cemetery is the Ben and Jerry's Flavor Graveyard. Yeah, <laughs> Vermont. Good job, Hannah. So, on opened in 1997, it is a memorial to bygone flavors that was initially only on the internet, but the Ben and Jerry's guys are super cute. So, why yeah. not? Um, they created uh, resin headstones, mocked up and put on a hill behind the factory, uh, and they all have punny little epitaphs which are very cute um some of them had you know were taken off because they were just limited runs some of them were just they didn't sell well so we're gonna go through a few um this is in alphabetical order and this is on the ben and jerry's website and some of these sound really fucking good um (laughs) so we have aloha macadamia which was from 2001 to 2002. And that is a milk chocolate cashew Brazil nut butter ice cream. That is a lot. And macadamia nuts covered in white and dark fudge and a milk chocolate swirl. Okay. Hmm. I can do without the dark chocolate. Yeah. That's a lot there. That's a lot there. Um, One called Bovinity Divinity. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which ran from 1998 to 2001 and that is chocolate ice cream with little white fudge cows with oh. um swirled with white chocolate ice cream and dark fudge cows so it was like a swirl situation which is very cute sounds good i love a good swirl ice cream so like mm-hmm. the other day i saw a thing on facebook that was like cherry and vanilla ice cream and i was like i want that like mm-hmm. oh why can't and it I was have in the that? squares yes it was in like a checkerboard yeah. pattern. I'm like give me that, that. Was i will super eat that. cute yeah i would right too. uh chocolate chip cookie dough frozen yogurt um so they actually do frozen yogurt now but hmm. i guess back in 2001 um it didn't didn't go over as well so you'd think it would especially with cookie dough everyone loves cookie dough. right um, this one was called Chocolate Comfort, and it only lasted for the year of 1999 because it was low-fat ice cream, and nobody wants oh, that. No. no. 
We have chocolate macadamia, which only lasted a year from 2010 to 2011. We have Coker Nutterly Fair, which was 2001 <laughs> to 2000 or 2011 to 2012. Chocolate ice cream with coconut caramel swirls and a chocolate covered coconut caramel crunch. Again, that's just too much. Just too that much. sounds good, though. No, I'd, it I'd, does sound I'd good, that. but it's a lot. Yeah. Caramel and um, coconut. I'm down. Yeah. We and chocolate. Some, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like we a Samoa. Sorry. Yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking. You're fine. <laughs> we have Cool Britannia, which lasted from 1995 to 1998, which was vanilla ice cream with strawberries and a fudge-covered shortbread, which I want right now. Sure. We have Cow Power, <laughs> which is sweet <laughs> cream ice cream with chocolate cookie pieces, dark chocolate little cows, and a fudge squirrel. Swirl, not okay. squirrel. Um, oh, I wanted a squirrel. <laughs> and that only lasted for 2012. Creme brulee, which I do not understand why that's gone. Yeah, uh, I love creme brulee. Sweet custard ice cream with the caramelized sugar swirl. That was from 2007 to 2012. Bring that back, Ben. Right? Back, because, Jerry. like, the creme brulee, like, Dan and yogurt is so fucking good. So Yeah, do it. Um, something called Dastardly Mash, which um, <laughs> a really long running one, 1979 to 1991. Wow. <laughs> um, chocolate ice cream with pecans, almonds, raisins, and chocolate chips. Come on, huh. with the raisins. Raisins yeah. and ice cream. I think the raisins was probably probably not there. Um they had a devil's food chocolate, which lasted from 1996 to 2001, which was light chocolate and dark chocolate and kind of a sorbet. Um, Sounds good. It does sound good. A Dublin mudslide, which was Irish cream liqueur ice cream with chocolate chip cookies and a coffee fudge swirl. Again, give it to me. That was <laughs> 2005 to 2007. In 1987, they had one called Economic Crunch. Oh, no. <laughs> Which was vanilla with chocolate-covered almonds, pecans, and walnuts. Um, and the little epitaph is very cute. A delightful mash, this flavor we remember, for the stock market crash on the 6th of December. Oh, cute. Uh, Ethan Almond, which is vanilla ice cream with chocolate-covered almonds. I don't know why that didn't last. That was only for 1988. Um, fossil Fuel, 2005 to 2010, sweet cream ice cream with chocolate cookie pieces fudge dinosaurs and a fudge swirl okay i want everything in like fudge or chocolate shapes exactly like, yes. i want right. the dinos i want the cows i want the squirrels even though the squirrels i want resist. all of it i know yes i like animal shapes or jerry if you were listening please give us squirrels um yes. and from 1986 to 1991 they had fresh georgia peach which is vanilla ice cream with peaches and again give it Yes. To me. If it's done right, yes. Uh, holy cannoli, which is uh, ricotta and pistachio ice cream with chocolate-covered cannoli pieces and roasted pistachios. Again, give it. I'll take it. To me. What year was um, that one? Holy cannoli was 97 to 98. I was going to say, I thought I remembered it, actually. Um, and then from 1992 to 1993, we had Miss Jelena's sweet potato pie, which was ginger ice cream with a fudge swirl. Um, and actually, Van Leeuwen has a sweet potato casserole ice cream oh, that is yeah. so fucking good. So I love their a, weird a, ice their creams. Honeycomb is amazing. Oh, yes, um, it is. Yes, the hot honey. They have come to mama. Oh, so good. 
Um, they had one called Au Pair, which was French pear yeah. ice cream. Um, that only lasted for 1997. Peanut butter and jelly, which again, what the fuck? Yeah. That was peanut butter <laughs> ice cream with little bits of peanut butter and a strawberry jelly swirl. Bring that back. They discontinued that in 1990. Um, we have peanuts and popcorn, which was caramel ice cream with white fudge covered caramel popcorn, toffee coated peanuts, and a caramel swirl. Give it. Yeah, to I'm me. down with that too. Why not? Mm-hmm. That was only for 2000. Um, they had purple passion fruit, which was swirls mm-hmm. of raspberry, blackberry, and passion fruit sorbet, which I fucking love a sorbet. Again, yeah, me too. Give it to me. Uh, Rainforest Crunch, which was a cashew and Brazilian nut butter crunch, which sounded mm-hmm. delicious. And that actually lasted 10 years, 1989 to 1999. And then the infamous Sweaty Balls in 2011, <laughs> based on the SNL skit, which was vanilla ice cream with a little bit of rum with fudge-covered rum and malt balls. Sugar plum, which again sounds amazing. Plum ice cream with a caramel swirl. I don't know if I'd do caramel, but I would definitely do plum ice cream. It's a weird choice, but I'll take it. Uh, Tennessee mud, which is coffee ice cream with amaretto. Jack Daniels Tennessee whiskey and roasted almonds. Come here. 1988 to 1989. Again, give it to me. (laughs) Yeah. We have The Witch, spelled W-I-C-H, Chewy Fudge Swirled Chocolate Chunk Cookies, and Vanilla Fudge Chip Ice Cream. Again, motherfuckers. 2004 (laughs) to 2006. They have one called This Is Nuts from 2001 to 2002, (laughs) which was chocolate and pistachio ice cream with fudge-covered almonds and pistachios. I like pistachios. I don't know what people are so upset about. I ate an embarrassing amount of pistachios today, actually, so... (laughs) Um, they have Tuskegee Chunk, which is peanut butter ice cream and chocolate chunks. Again, peanut butter ice cream. Mm-hmm. Give it to me. Yeah. Uh, they have Urban Jumble, which was from 2000 to 2001, which was coconut almond fudge chip with New York super fudge chunk and chocolate ice cream, coconut ice cream, chocolatey chunks, pecans, and roasted almonds. Coconut ice cream sounds fucking amazing. Yep. Sure does. Then Vermonti Python, um, which was 2006 to 2008, which was coffee liqueur ice cream with chocolate cookie crumble squirrels and those fudge cows we love so much. And the squirrels that I cannot say squirrel, squirrel tonight. <laughs> and the very cute epitaph for them is right then. Is it dad or isn't it? No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> Rubbish. You're a loony. No, I'm not. Um, for our younger, please go see the parrot skit from Monty Python. Um, Wavy Gravy, who was a artist with the um, Grateful Dead and that Eon era back in the day, his flavor ran from 1993 to 2001. It was mm-hmm. caramel and cashew Brazil nut ice cream with chocolate hazelnut fudge swirl and roasted almonds. Uh, there was the White Russian, which was coffee ice cream with Kahlua coffee liqueur. Give it <laughs> to me. <laughs> and then finally, Wild Maine Blueberry, which again, blueberry ice cream with a blueberry puree and whole blueberries. Delicious. And that 1992 to 1993. I 
there is a link on their website to resurrect a flavor and i have a whole list <laughs> i am like now now you've made me hungry for ice cream i know, I know. that's yeah, what i was I have, just thinking i'm like dang it none of us have eaten dinner and i'm trying I've to gotta go feed have... horses man I've got... i know and i gotta <laughs> see if i've got sweets in this house i know i don't have ice cream but i know i have sweets somewhere um so yeah that is the ben and jerry's flavor graveyards so not all graveyards are sad I have little right. uh, little drumsticks if I can sneak one without the kids seeing me because of course there you they go. see me they're gonna they're gonna want one. It's like of that course. TikTok of the lady eating the brownie batter and the husband's like, "Do the kids know?" She's like, "Shut the fuck up!" It's got <laughs> nuts in it. They won't like it. Except Bonnie, Bonnie is the weirdest kid. She will eat anything except macaroni and cheese. Like she is so weird. She like what? oh nuts. Yeah, nothing phases her. She's like, "Oh, that has nuts in it. I don't care. I want a bite." Okay. Wow. Yeah. All we right. just got to teach gotta her pick... to love mac and cheese. I know. It's right. so weird. She'll get there. She'll yeah. get she doesn't there. like she pasta. She doesn't like. Uh, hmm. She'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. How can she? Wait till she has a, a period and desperately <laughs> needs carbs. <laughs> yes. Amen. Yes. Lord uh, Almighty. All right. We're picking a state. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh God. I, I almost forgot. Yeah. 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 Um, get our Luhu. generator up. Lou, who tell everybody that. where they can find us. Yes, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod, or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. Yeah, send us ran emails. Out <laughs> ran out of breath. Like, on <laughs> like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, tell your friends, all that good stuff. We are Absolutely. going to <laughs> we're going to pick another state because we're having fun with states, and the random state generator picked Vermont. We will pick again. No. Hawaii. Hawaii. Ooh, okay. Nice. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And it'll be like freezing its ass off up here. So I'll be dreaming yes. about Hawaii. Yes. Amen. That is our next state. So tune in for that episode. And yeah, go leave us a review. Tell your friends. Please, please, please. Because it sure would be nice if we had more people listening. Yeah. And we no, do definitely. love those of you who always love our stuff. We love you Yes, guys. we do. Yes, we do. The best. We do. Yes. All right. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.